Coming up on this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society, EA Play Live? More like EA Play Dead. It's dangerous to go alone, so the Nintendo Cartridge Society goes with you. Welcome to Nintendo Cartridge Society. My name is Patrick Ellers, and I'm joined as I am always joined by my co-host, Mark Mitchell. We've got a good show for you today. We're going to be talking about the news from the week, including groups coming to Nintendo Switch. And then on Thursday, we're going to be talking about weird Kirby games, including Kirby's Dream Course. Mark, in the meantime, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Patrick. Uh, it is, of course, Kirby Month, and we've been talking a little bit about how Kirby is changing us Kirby month has been um driving uh it's been a mania you're right you're right there's there's been a mania uh you you uh I I texted you the other day saying that I am it is uh changing the shape of my brain you said it's legit driving me crazy yes I feel like I feel like for Kirby month we almost need a section of this show that's like how is Kirby month changing your life this week how are you adapting to Kirby month because I'm loving Kirby Month. I'm loving it too. But it is definitely doing something to my brain. Can I tell you that after we recorded last week's uh, Kirby episode where we were talking about the 10 best sub games in the Kirby franchise, which I thoroughly recommend. It's a great episode. Um, but I was thinking so much Kirby that I couldn't go to sleep. <laughs> there were Kirbys running around my brain. And I don't know what that means, Mark. We're losing sleep because of Kirby Month. Here is how Kirby Month is affecting me. Please. Um, So I've been walking around my place all week to the tune of uh, You Raised Me Up, the Josh Groban song from like 15 years ago, going, it's Kirby Month. Now I don't have anywhere to go from there. No, I mean that's where it, that necessarily and like that mercifully is where it has to end. Because then I just keep doing it over. It's and- Kirby month. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's terrible. Uh, and now we've inflicted it on all of our listeners. So that's uh, that's look that's that's the kind of service we provide here in Kirby month. Listeners, how are you holding up with Kirby month? I can only assume that you're subjecting yourselves to as many Kirby games as we are. Uh, I hope. Uh, that this Kirby month finds you well. Uh, if you need a break from Kirby, you can always try to borrow my copy of Sonic Forces for the Nintendo Switch. All you got to do is email us at Nintendo Cartridge Society at, at gmail.com. gmail.com and give us a mailing address so we can send you my copy of Sonic Forces. Uh, one thing that might happen, there may be a copy of Untitled Goose Game in there instead of Sonic Forces. But look, uh, that's okay. You play either one for as long as you want. You uh, put it back in the box. You put the box back in an envelope, and you send the envelope back to me. I pay for postage both ways. It's the perfect borrowing program. Another thing you can do, as always, you can is you can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us out a ton. Patrick and I love reading your reviews, and it helps people find the show so we can grow this society we call Nintendo Cartridge. That's that's right. Uh, also, we are in the smack dab middle of Kirby Month. Um, well, no, we're not. We're in the we're in the latter. We're in the death throes of Kirby Month. Oh, that's so crazy to say. Uh, can you believe it? It feels too short. 
well, I, I have a feeling that there's going to be some bonus Kirby content after we get through the month. But uh, this week, we are, of course, discussing weird Kirby games, including Kirby's Dream Course. You Kirby's Dream Course freaks, we're going to get there. We're going to talk about it. Uh, and then next week, next week already, we are going to be discussing the new Kirby and the Forgotten Land. Wild. Um, Mark, I have some emails that I forgot about that I, I'm going to spring on you right now. Um, first is a, a Mario Day memory that a, a listener uh, shared with us. Um, Ross writes, good day. With Mario Day tomorrow, did we get this email uh, a, a couple weeks ago? Sure. We wanted to clear with Ross that it was okay to share this thing. Oh, and if, if you're confused, Mario Day is mar Day. Okay, look, Mark, you're the only one who has a hard time with this. Everyone else intuits that M-A-R-1-0 equals M-A-R-I-O. Mario Martin. Everyone else gets it. <laughs> Ross writes. With Mario Day today, I thought I would share a Mario memory. Attached is a recording of a message Charles Martinet made for me when uh, made for me made for me for my then four-year-old son. Mr. Martinet is well known for his kindness and being good to his fans, and this was no exception. He had spoken to more than a hundred people before I got to him, and he made me feel important and took the time to record a nice personal message for my son. I boarded a cross-country flight the next day, feeling like I had won a lottery ticket, like I had a winning lottery ticket in my pocket. My son was ecstatic upon hearing it, and he, now eleven, is a big Nintendo fan as well. Thank you for your continued Nintendo coverage. You are both fantastic. Um, Mark, would you like to hear uh, Charles Martinet's message to uh, Ross's son? Yeah, absolutely. Hello, Super Cedric. It's me, Mario. Hello, Edito. Oh, yeah, the Mario Bros. We here with your papa, and he say, you number one. Oh, yeah, number one. See you in my game. Oh, yeah, my game, too. Oh, yeah. Incredible. That is priceless. That is so good. Yeah, it's uh, uh, what a... Man, I wish my dad would have come home with <laughs> Corey of Charles Martinet doing that. Um, thank you, Ross, for sharing uh, your Mario Day, your Mario memory with us. Um, that's very special. Mark, we have another email. Uh, we uh, asked, we solicited, we said, who's playing with these Lego Super Marios? Legos, yeah, Super Mario, Lego, Lego Super Mario, whatever it's called. Um, and we got an email from Andros, one of the hosts of the Nintendo Pals podcast, a podcast you and I have both been on, uh, saying... Hello, Patrick and Mark. Happy Kirby Month to you, and happy Kirby Month to you, Andros. Uh, you asked last week if any listeners had Lego Mario sets, and I do. Well, my kids do. My son got Lego Mario for Christmas, and our daughter liked it so much we got her a Lego Luigi set. They love it. It's definitely for kids, and it would have been a dream of mine, uh, one of my dream toys when I was a kid. Uh, they're multi... They... They okay, hold on. The multiplayer interaction between Mario and Luigi is neat. If one falls over, the other will ask, "Are you okay?" <laughs> and, and they combine your combine their scores when you play levels. Levels are triggered by a pipe QR code spot, uh, after which uh, a timer starts. The goal is to collect as many coins as you can and then hit the flagpole within the time limit. Uh, you can just play. You can just play free play uh, mode with them, and they just jump and talk and interact and uh, things like that. It's super fun. Again, Again, really designed for kiddos, but my kids really enjoy them, and we have fun playing with them as a family. That's my short. That's my short review. Big fan of the show, and keep up the great work, Andros. Um, he does add a PS. I do think they look kind of creepy when they are turned off because their eyes and mouth are just black screens, soulless voids for eyes. 
uh, and then that like uh, that like the scream emoji, you know, the one where it's like blue on top oh, and I, the, the face really screaming, really screaming. Um, Andros, thank you for that review. Mark, as, does any of that surprise you? I you got a chuckle out of I, you. I I love the idea that they're like, are you okay when one of them falls over? I feel like in whatever the next like multiplayer Mario game, when somebody falls off the ledge or something like that. All the characters should be asking each other, are you all are right? You okay? <laughs> when you're, oh like, bubbling over. Did like, you oh. just die? <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. Um, and then uh, one last email I wanted to address. Aaron wrote in with a question. Uh, Aaron writes, hi, Patrick and Mark. When you are in the mood to listen to some video game music, are you listening to the original versions? Or are you looking for remixed versions? My go-tos are jazz remixes or calm piano versions of the Chrono Trigger soundtrack. Have you heard the official jazz remixes put out by Square Enix recently? Uh, so, Mark, when you listen to video game music, and I know you listen to video game music a, a fair amount when you're working. Yeah, that's right. Um, what... Uh, how how do you like to take it in? Original recipe or extra orchestral? Generally, I'm listening to the original, but if I find like a good orchestral version, I don't know if this is the Square uh, the Chrono Trigger remix that the listeners referring to. But Square Enix just started their own official YouTube channel where they're hosting like music mixes and um, they actually have some really good ones on there. So I like a little bit of both. Yeah, especially you know during. The holidays, you got those, you know, like big band Christmas remixes sure. going, uh, reorchestrations. So yeah, either way. Um, that's I, I would say that my habits are more if I'm listening to video game music, I kind of want the original recordings. Um, especially if I'm listening to some like retro-y stuff, I don't really want to hear like a re uh, an orchestration thereof or anything like that. But um, some of that can be fun as like novelty. Uh, but I, I don't know. I just I, I tend to hear um, when things are aggressively orchestrated and therefore like actually orchestrated well, um, I feel like it becomes its own piece of music mm, sort of like mm -hmm. separate from the thing that I set out to listen to. Um, and then they're also sort of just like straight up orchestrations where it just like takes the 16 bit track and like the violins play the violin part, the trumpets play the trumpet part. Um, and those always I, I don't like that. Um, so, uh, they, they feel empty to me, um, and are sort of creatively devoid of meaning. Like why bother doing that? Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I love a good, you know, jazz cover of anything. Yeah. So, like, I was yeah. gonna, I was just going to ask, where do the Donkey Konga remixes of like the Legend of Zelda theme fit in this continuum? Well, I mean that it, it destroys the continuum. <laughs> it's, it's so far on the good side. It's like when you're looking at the uh, the spectrum of visible light and you're like, ultraviolet, what's that? That's what the uh, uh, Donkey Konga remixes are like. Um, all right. Uh, great emails. Thank you, everyone, for writing in. Uh, Mark, we should get into what we have been playing this week. There are new Mario Kart 8 Deluxe tracks. I couldn't believe it. I was so excited. I mean, I could believe it because I knew it was coming. Right. But I was so excited. Uh, I was so excited to access these tracks on Thursday night. <laughs> so there were eight new tracks, two new cups released as part of the first booster course pack, a Golden Dash Cup with Paris Promenade from... Uh, Mario Kart Tour, Toad Circuit for Mario Kart 7, which I've never played. Never played Mario Kart 7, so these were all new to me. Um, Choco Mountain from Mario Kart 64, and then Coconut Mall, Mario Kart Wii. But you, you've you've played 
you know Coconut Mall and uh, Choco Mountain from... Yeah, yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. And then I don't think that I had played Paris Promenade from Mario Kart Tour. I played Tour a little bit when it first came out. Yeah. But I don't think it was part of it at that point. I, I mean, it's sort of impossible to know. I don't <laughs> remember what tracks... I played in Mario Kart. I don't really either. Uh, And then the Lucky Cat Cup had Tokyo Blur from Mario Kart Tour, Shroom Ridge from Mario Kart DS, Sky Garden from Mario Kart Super Circuit, which was the Game Boy Advance version, and then Ninja Hideaway from Mario Kart Tour. Weirdly, Ninja Hideaway is not labeled as a Mario Kart Tour track in the game. Uh, Paris Promenade and Tokyo Blur are... Um, I think it's a bug. Uh, yeah, I mean, they definitely like just mislabeled it. I mean, it is by far my favorite of yes, the like tracks yes. that they introduced, so maybe they're not labeling it because it's like so special. Why wouldn't they want to drive people to Mario Kart Tour? <laughs> it's so good. What are you? How do you feel about these new tracks? I I, I think they're uh, I think they're good. They're a welcome addition to to the lineup. I don't feel like uh, either of these new cups is as good as uh, any of the new cups that were added with DLC to the original Mario Kart uh, 8. Um, but I think they kind of go toe-to-toe with any of the uh, like the remix, tra- any of the classic track cups um, that were introduced before that. Um, I think the best tracks far and away are the Mario Kart Tour ones. Um, and I found that I wanted, like I just wanted the, I wanted the, I wanted a little bit of like newness injected into like all of the old tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, something Sarah expressed to me while we were playing was uh, in Chaco Mountain. She was like, "Oh, it's foggy. Or is it going to get more foggy as we go?" And like, no, <laughs> no, it's just it's just foggy. Like it doesn't it doesn't change. Um, and so for for all of the tracks that aren't from you know the iPhone game, um, they're pretty stagnant from lap to lap. I assume that that kind of thing is going to change a little bit as we get into, as we start to get like more Wii tracks and more Mario Kart 7 tracks. Um, and just, they'll be a little bit more dynamic. Yeah, I don't really know what to expect. I was surprised that in something like Toad Circuit, they didn't add the hoverboard stuff. You know, like there was none yeah. of that really. Yeah. The um, One of the things that's cool about the tour tracks, like Paris, Tokyo, and Ninja Hideaway, is the courses themselves change like in the third lap you take a different direction which yeah is, which ex- I think except, is like cool except for ninja hideaway but ninja hideaway is basically two tracks stacked oh, on right. top of each other yeah um which is so cool but yeah like the the last track of tokyo blur is awesome right because like you've gone all these like long ways through and then like you get on the highway yeah uh, which like and go through a toll booth and it's, it's super fun like, for some reason it weirds me out to have uh just it's it's just paris and it's just Tokyo, and like, yeah, it's a little like Mario Karted up, but it's not like there's yeah, a, like Mario characters inhabiting the world or anything like that. I don't know that that part of it was weird to me, where it's just like we're in Paris. So I I do hear that, and I get what you're saying, but knowing that it comes from Mario Kart Tour and like real world location uh, is like or like travel is part of like the tour identity um, makes me like. I, I have peace with it where I'm not like I recognize like, oh, this is weird, but it doesn't uh, it, I, I don't feel bad weird. I feel good weird about it. Does that <laughs> make think, sense? Yeah, it does. And I, I think that it is. Um, uh, I think it's fine. <laughs> I don't really know how else to say it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I got to say, uh, felt good to be driving around in that uh, coconut mall again. Mm-hmm. Um, Mario Kart Wii is a game that I put so much time into. Um, and 
Like I know all of those courses, like the back of my hand. And it was wild to have muscle memory from a decade ago, just like re-engaged. Um, so I could like drive my way around that mall again. Yeah. That, uh, I love that level. I'm hoping we get some double dash courses in here. Yeah. I mean, look, we, we've got what 30, uh, no, another 40 tracks to, uh, coming towards us. Um, over the next year and a half so yeah we got a bunch we got a bunch so like just keep them coming um it it, it does make me uh wish that they did a like if they i don't know i want i want more right and i want to mm-hmm. i want it like now um it was fun to uh you know just like kind of play these two circuits over and over again uh i haven't gone back into just like shuffle everything right yet. yeah um and i probably won't until there's at least another set of like new tracks um, but yeah, it just, I, I, I love that the games, I love that the game's getting bigger. It's getting, uh, more robust after, you know, owning it for years and I, years. I haven't done the math to work backwards. If it ends in 2023 yes. and we have X number of courses left, how often are we going to get them? Like every two months or something? Well, like so that? there are six waves, right? Uh-huh. Uh, and so we just had one. Um, so, Okay, five waves. Le- well, so no, we'll say we'll say all we'll count all six waves, right? Because th- this one just started. Um, so this is March, which means that there are twenty uh, months between now and the end of twenty twenty three. If we're counting all of March, uh-huh. um, so divided by six, yeah, I mean, kinda, right? <laughs> every, every every quarter, basically, yeah. is, is when we'll get these things. All right, I can I can that that seems great. Um, there is a you know those um, like little pieces of plastic that like go that hold like the tag on 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 your clothes. Yes. Um, there is one of those in my sock right now, and it's like poking out <laughs> the fabric, and I don't. It's driving me nuts. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I it's uh, I'm I'm really distracted over here. I just wanted you to know what was happening in, in my sock. <laughs> Uh, Mark, you play anything else this week? I've been playing a little bit of Dragon Quest XI S Echoes of an Elusive Age Definitive Edition for the Nintendo Switch. I totally felt it happening where I was losing momentum. Yeah, we didn't talk like about a, it last in week. like a JRPG. And yeah. so I was like, I've got to get back into it because I cannot yet again. <laughs> no, you cannot abandon this I game can. where you are. You cannot. And so I got back into it. Um, just played a little bit further, like one more little like vignette. Um, which takes a couple hours and then I'm on my way. Um, and I, I just did one again, slight story spoilers for this, where you go to this like mural that is supposed to like grant people wishes and stuff, but spoiler alert, it's an evil mural, evil mural. It's not one of the better ones. So it's also, I feel like I've hit a little bit of like a lull in the game, but I know I just got to keep like pushing forward because there's so much more game left. There's Yes. I mean, do you know where you're headed next? Uh, no. I mean, I'm just picking up. I, I don't know if this means anything to anybody who's not playing this game right now, but I'm just picking up the red orb at the moment. I don't know where I go from there. Um, I feel like you may be headed up to, is it Shiverheim? Is that the name of it? Oh, but this is the one that you were excited for me to encounter. I love this. Oh, okay. I mean, uh, honestly, the the whole the whole game I think is great. I think it it jumps up when you uh, get teleported to like the other continent, uh, and then I think it goes up another like ten levels when you head up north. Oh wow! Okay. Um, and then just like it's just a, it, you're on a rocket ride to the stars from there to the end of the game. I also feel like I gotta switch up my party a little bit. I just feel like I'm getting kind of um 
board. Yeah, with remi- the remind me who your party is. Okay, so it's uh, me, the hero. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Eric, um, Jade, mm-hmm. and then Silvando. Okay, and is Eric? What's Eric? Uh, he's dual wielding. Dual wielding right knives. Yeah. Okay, good. But both him and Silvando are in knives right now. And then you have mm. Jade in there with the staff. I don't know. I just feel like I gotta like mix mix things up a little bit. Yeah, mix them I, up. I've been rolling with the same party for like hours at this point. Yeah. Well, and like you know, start throwing out other pairings, right? Like the the Jade and, and Rob pairing is is fun. Uh, the sisters are fun together. Um, so yeah, just like just mix it up. Yeah. You, you will get to a point where the game forces you to mix up. Um, so just make sure you're already kind of aware of how to use everyone. Uh, and then what? We've been playing Kirby games. Yeah, just an endless amount of Kirby games. Uh, which we will talk about on Thursday. Uh, but Mark, that's what we've been playing this week. Let's get into the new releases and what we might be playing, what we will definitely be playing next week. Today, March 22nd, Rune Factory 5 is released for Switch. But... The big news of the week, Friday, March 25th, Kirby in the Forgotten Land. I can't believe that this is already here. It's already upon us. Um, it's weird to me that neither of us have played the demo. Um, like, we probably should have, but, like, I've been playing all these other Kirby I've been games. i playing all this other Kirby game. It's an inevitability that I'm going to get this game. Yes. So it doesn't even really matter to me what happens in the demo. You know what I mean? Yes. No. Uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, 100%. I get what you mean. Um, are you, you, obviously, we're both going to get the game. We're both going to play it. Are you, at this point, excited to play it? Are I'm, you? Yeah, go ahead. I would say interested. Mm. Like, I don't feel a lot of anticipation about it. There are elements of the game that I am anticipating, you know, when I'm tucking myself into bed at night and I'm pulling the covers up. I'm like getting really comfortable and thinking to myself, just, you know, a couple more days till mouthful mode, but. Oh, mouthful mode. <laughs> but um, like the, the, I'm willing to let whatever the experience, I have no expectation, I guess is what I'm saying. It's like, yeah. I'm open to whatever the experience is. And I think that was a real detriment to when Star Allies came out is I did, I was, uh, I had expectations and it was in direct comparison to a game that I loved. Yes. And for this one, I don't really have I've never played a 3D Kirby game before. So I don't really have expectations. Yeah. Well, and like I would say that for me, my current definition of what a Kirby game is is not at all what it, it was originally, right? Like before we started this month, I have been exposed to so many Kirby games that I have uh loved or been indifferent to for reasons completely alien uh to what I would have thought I would have you know, how I would have felt about them. Um, so whatever Kirby and the Forgotten Land is, I feel like I'm, I'm open. Like, I'm open to it being uh, an easier sort of platforming experience. I'm open to it being an exploration-based game. I'm open to Kirby being a little ball that we hit around with paddles. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm into it. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, if it turns out the Kirby and the Forgotten Land, like the first hour of it is what Nintendo has shown, and then the l- next 99 hours, it just turns into a stealth Kirby block ball sequel. Yeah. I would be ecstatic. Uh, yeah, me too, me too, me too, me too. Um, and like, yeah, I'm, I'm just sort of excited to, uh, I, I, w- I feel like I know enough about the series now that the new things are going to feel new um, and the uh, references are going to feel like references. Like, you know, it's, it, it's, I feel like maybe we've, we crammed for Mario right before Odyssey came out, right? You know, like it, it feels like 
we're ready. We are, uh, we binge the Marvel movies before Endgame, right? We're there. We're ready to we take on the, the new one. We know the difference between a Waddle D and a Waddle Do. Right. I think we're ready. All right, Mark. Those are the new releases. Let's close the segment out. Which brings us, of course, to a regular segment on our show. It is time for 433. In 1952, American composer John Cage wrote a piece called 433, wherein a performer or a group of performers didn't play their instruments for 4 minutes and 33 seconds. For the purposes of this show, our instruments are talking about Nintendo. So, for the duration of one performance of 433, Mark and I will talk about something not at all Nintendo-related, thus fulfilling the contract of the piece. Uh, Mark, the Oscars are upon us, the uh, Academy Awards... The Academy Awards ceremony uh, is is upon us, um, and I thought it would be a good time to go over the ten biggest Oscar snubs of all time, according to USA Today's uh, Andrea Mandel, uh, February third, twenty twenty. Uh, a pre-pandemic world uh, here is is where th- these takes are coming from. So these are the ten biggest Oscar snubs. Mark, do you? think you're gonna like how, how familiar are you with the oscars do you have opinions about things that have been snubbed no, or controversies I, at the I, academy awards so th- here's what i think this is going to go like mm-hmm. we we're gonna read one from this list and then we're both gonna go oh that's right because i i could i don't think i could pull these off the top of my head like if you ask me what is the biggest oscar snub of all time yeah no clue what about you patrick biggest oscar snub of all time Ooh. No, I don't have one. Um, yeah, I just, I just don't have one. <laughs> um, but let's let's go through. I, I feel like we're these are going to be more recognizable than, than you think. Remember, mm-hmm. they're they're trying to get people to click on this thing, right? Um, so number one, Citizen Kane losing Best Picture. Okay. Yeah. How Green Was My Valley won instead of Citizen Kane in 1942. I've never seen How Green Is My Valley. I, I can't I can't speak to whether it should have won over Citizen Kane or not. Um, but you've seen Citizen Kane? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Number two, Alfred Hitchcock never won Best Director. How do you feel about that? <laughs> I feel like he was snubbed. <laughs> That feels like a snub to me. Uh, but, like, he is... It's so weird to say this, because, like, compared to what movies are now, like, he's definitely not. But, like, at the time, he was such, like, a genre guy, right? Right. That, like, the sort of, like, horror thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, well, a film he g- directed was... Uh, won the Oscar for Best Picture, like Rebecca, but mm-hmm. he wasn't a um, producer, so he didn't get an Oscar for it. Um, did Quentin Tarantino win an Oscar for directing Pulp Fiction? I don't know. Maybe I, it's on this list. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, like he he won. He keeps winning like the best screenplay. screenplay. Yeah. Um. So like, I, I wonder if uh, he got thrown that bone over and over again. Uh, number three, Glenn Close is still a bridesmaid. Okay, I'm going to assume this means that Glenn Close never won. Uh, an Academy Award, but she gets nominated over and over again. Mm, mm-hmm. that, that's a snub. Good that's call. a snub. That's good a snub. List. Good, good snub. Uh, number four, Saving Private Ryan losing to Shakespeare in Love. I think we can agree that Shakespeare in Love should not have won, should not have won the Academy Award for Best Picture, right? I, I guess I just I don't have I don't have strong opinion. I mean, why not? Why shouldn't Shakespeare? <laughs> why shouldn't Shakespeare in Love have won? I don't know, because it, was, it wasn't that good. 
But I, I mean, like even even the lists like biases are sort of being betrayed here, where right. it's like ah, uh, the prestigious war film mm-hmm. should have gotten the Academy Award. I mean, uh, Saving Private Ryan is a good movie. Don't get me wrong. Right. Yeah, snub. Snub. Total snub. Number five. Spike Lee has never won a Best Director Oscar. Snub. Snub. Does that remain true? Yeah, I guess. I guess not. What did he? Uh, the. It's probably uh, like Best Picture or whatever. Anyway, uh, he's never won Best Director. It's big, big time snub. Um, number six, Stanley Kubrick was shut out. Kind of a notorious jerk. Yeah, right? was, yeah. I mean, I guess th- this is a snub, but also, sure. yeah, sure, snub. Yeah, snub. Okay, fine. Uh, number seven, Pam Greer and Jackie Brown were robbed. Quentin Tarantino coming up again in the conversation for the yeah. second time here. Um, uh, great movie. Pam mm-hmm. Greer is great in it. Yeah, snub. snub. I agree. Total snub. Uh, number eight, Peter O'Toole can't nab a win. You look, I don't feel that bad for Peter, Peter O'Toole. Why not? He's incredibly successful. That one I'm calling not a snub. Not a snub. You got to earn it, Peter. Um, here, I'm going to close that. Uh, and then the, the last two are Cecily Tyson deserved gold for years and Brokeback Mountain lost to Crash. Yeah, anything really losing to Crash for Best Picture is... Uh, <laughs> That that's that's a cultural mistake. <laughs> Don't really know what happened there. Um, and of course, USA Today is uh, crashing my web browser. Here we go. Okay, uh, we were accompanied today by the by Lawrence Foster conducting the BBC Orchestra. Mark, are you ready to get into the news? Let's do it. Yesterday, this is big news, Patrick. Nintendo dropped Switch firmware update 14.0.0 that includes a new group feature to help players organize their games on the home menu. People have been asking for it. They've been saying, hey, where are my folders? How can I sort my games in a way that's not the three ways that you say I can sort games by? It only took five years. It only took five years. So uh, you go into select all software. That oh, so it's not an intuitive process? <laughs> that option that's all the way to the right. Uh-huh. Then you press the L button to start a group. You can arrange group software however you want. Uh, pr- actually, presumably there are limitations, but uh, there you're able to arrange how the software is displayed. And then you give the group a name. And it's as uh, simple as that. And uh, th- when you are like hovering over a group, it looks like it shows um, like smaller versions of the uh, game, like cover art, basically. Uh, and you see the full name of, of what it is, which uh, Mark, are you are you a person who uses the folders on other platforms? I, I, I never have before, although, uh, you know, last my 3DS is getting to the point where I should start grouping them. Last week, I. Uh, after we talked about it on the show, I did go into the 3DS eShop and buy some of those Capcom games that were on yeah, sale. I still got to do that. <laughs> like the Ace Attorney stuff. And and basically, my 3DS before they announced the eShop was getting shut down and my 3DS after the eShop getting, yeah, it's is not getting shut down, yeah. it is insane. Would you say that your uh, 3DS has been irradiated by gamma radiation is transformed into an incredible Hulk 3DS? I, w- I would, actually. Yeah, I would say yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I've never used use those folders. I've never used folders before. Um, had you played Nintendo Nintendo Badge Arcade? No, no. Oh, so you don't even have badges you can put on them. Mm, no. Nope. Here's the thing that was great about Nintendo Badge Arcade and folders on the 3DS is that you could 
earn you you could get those badges from playing the game and then you could put those badges on the folder so you would like customize the graphic of so like i have a game boy folder on my 3ds and on the front of it is a little game boy oh that's fun it rules um ditto like i have an, an nes one where there's like a nintendo controller on it an nes controller um and stuff like that uh it that sort of customization isn't really available here um but yeah, I don't for for this being a thing that people have asked for, I don't really see why it's that necessary on the Switch. I mean, I guess if you have a like I have a a good amount of games, but if you have like a ton of games, there's no like search feature or anything. You know what I mean? And so you yeah. just unless you played it recently, you're just opening up the all games and just kind of have to like scroll through to find what you're looking for. And so I can see the utility if you want to like organize your library. Like if you are going back to games a lot, because really for the most part, you know, I have my experience with the game and I put it away. Yeah. And so the all games is something fun to go back to and be like, Oh my gosh, that's right. I did. Play I had that all game. these games. Yeah, yeah. I had all these games, but really it's that first row, like the main row of stuff. Yeah. That that's what's I, active. Yeah, yeah. That I am going to the most. But if you are someone who plays a lot of games that you, you or like are replaying or all that kind of stuff, I can I can see it because the switch isn't there's no there is no organization right now. Right, right. Well, I do. What like the the thing that one of the things that I really use the folders for on the both the Wii U and 3DS are sorting like virtual console libraries where I'm like, here's where I put all of the Game Boy Advance games. I have a Game Boy Advance um, folder on on my Wii U. There is no such service on the uh, Switch except for the games that are part of the services, the Nintendo Switch Online services, which are sorted together already. So, like, <laughs> Nintendo's sort of doing my bidding for me. They are sorted together already. I actually wish I could do folders inside those libraries, though. Mm -hmm. So I could... I mean, you can kind of arrange them in rows by game and all that kind of stuff. And that is nice. But it'd be nice to just have, like, a folder for... Games I'm never going to touch this. Exactly. I will yeah. never Get touch this. Get out of my way. Yeah. Um, and Mark, let me tell you, I, on all the libraries, there's like a row at the bottom that's just like 30 games <laughs> all piled into one. That's just like, I'm never going to play these. I'm, I'm just not going to. Um, Speaking of yes. which, yes. Uh, three Sega Genesis <laughs> games were added to the Nintendo Switch Online Sega Genesis Online service last Wednesday, March 16th. There was no advance notice and very little fanfare around the announcement. It was just kind of one of those pops up on Twitter sort of things. The games are Light Crusader, an isometric action RPG from Treasure, Alien Soldier, a side-scrolling shooter platformer also from Treasure, this game was not available on a cartridge for Genesis in North America, though it was exclusively available to play on the Sega channel. Mark, do you remember the Sega channel? No. It's basically, not basically, it's sort of like the uh, Satellaview on the uh, uh, Super NES, but it was here. It was in, uh, so it was like a, a cable channel that you, like a premium cable channel that you could subscribe to and then plug your Genesis into and then you could like play games through it. Oh, whoa. Isn't that wild? So it was like modem based? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That is crazy. I think the like the modem was actually in like a cartridge that you plugged in the top of the thing. 
I I may be intuiting that and not actually having having seen it before, but just knowing how many things got plugged into the top of <laughs> a uh, a Sega Genesis, like Sonic and Knuckles, a right. 32X, like you just build like, they a loved tower. It. They loved it. Uh, also, Super Fantasy Zone, a flying shooting game from Sunsoft. Mark, I played all three of these games this weekend. Wow, wow, keeping the uh, Sega Genesis two yes. week thing that we did at the end of um, uh, December alive. Yes, that's right. Uh, the Sega Genesis week. Um, I didn't play these games for very long. Um, Light Crusader um, is uh, uh, it's just like a dungeon crawly, you know. Um, and I I found the sort of like hack and slashing. It's got a like a, a fantasy aesthetic to it. Is it uh, turn based or it's like action? No, it's it's uh, it's action. Oh, got so it. like it's sort of a it's sort of Zelda e. Um, but you you have like just the absolute smallest attack range where like an enemy has to be like literally next to you and just not attacking in that moment that you can actually like deal damage to it. Um, there's some cool stuff with like the magic system that you're able to pick up like different orbs and like use them at the same time to cast magic spells that so like there was a time where I was casting both fire and lightning magic at the same time. Kind of cool. Um, but uh, you know, ultimately, like, seemed kind of, kind of shallow. Not, not a ton of fun. Um, uh, Alien Soldier, too hard. Uh, I'm, I'm saying it right now. It's a treasure game. You know, sort of in the, in the vein of um, Gunstar Heroes that I was raving about. Uh, but uh, you die once and it's game over. Oh, um, Is, was do you know? Was this like a arcade game? I have heard of Alien I think Soldier so. before. I think so. But I don't know why. Um, well, so like, it's, it's a, a, a very difficult game. And one of the things that they were uh, sort of like touting in, um, the press materials around it coming to the uh, Nintendo switch online, uh, was that you would have the ability to rewind, um, and like actually progress through the game and like, you know, chase, chase a high score that's respectable because you're not going to die every 30 seconds. Um, so it, I don't know. It, it's kind of cool, but like it's almost too difficult to actually be fun. That's how I, I don't know if what you were describing with like being able to go back so that way you can actually make progress. And it was my experience with Strider when I played that uh-huh. for this, where it was just like, oh, this game is way too hard. There's no way I'd ever be able to do this. Right. If it weren't for the fact that I can go back a few seconds. Yeah. Well, it's. It's funny, right? Like we talk about that a lot with uh, like classic games being so tied to like their arcade roots that like yeah, they just games are more difficult because you have to get more out of it. You have to spend more time mastering it um, because there are only so many games that exist, and they want you ultimately to put more quarters into the arcade machine. The Genesis is so much more an like a home arcade system, especially you know for the time, obviously. Um, but like. Yeah, that Sega was still a big presence in arcades, just as Nintendo was like, no, forget it. We're just home console. Um, and then uh, Super Fantasy Zone uh, is kind of neat, actually. Um, so, like, you're flying around in a, a little space, and it's like a finite space, and you're going, like, either left or right. Um, and there are these uh, – at every level, they're they're different. But uh, in the first level, they're flowers. In the second level, they're, like, barrels um, that, like, shoot other enemies at you. Um, and your goal is to get rid of all of these things, all of these flowers, all these barrels, and then a boss emerges at the end of it. Um, and while you're uh, while you're shooting these things, you're earning money. Uh, you're earning like coins. 
and then a shop just like appears and so you like run into the shop uh and like upgrade all your stuff that you get like a limited amount of uh you know how many bombs or a special ability or um like the weapons that you're firing um so it's you have to sort of like wait and be like okay can i take out more of these flowers with like my regular guns and then upgrade at the shop um so i can use that on the boss or whatever um like I found it to be like pretty dynamic and cool and fun. Are you controlling a person or are you controlling like a a spaceship? You're like it's a little spaceship. Oh, okay. Yeah. That but it's fun. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I I I recommend Fantasy uh Super Fantasy Zone um of of these three games. I think it's probably the most fun. So, as you'll recall, Metroid Dread released last year and Patrick, you and I caught it. Everybody caught Metroid Mania. It swept through the entire world. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a little bit of a sales update regarding the game's performance in the UK, courtesy of GFK. The game is the second best-selling... Or no, no, sorry. It is the best-selling 2D yeah. Metroid title and the third best-selling Metroid game overall behind Prime 1 and 3 in the UK. But this is not taking digital sales into account. So it's probably only a matter of time that it becomes the best-selling game if it hasn't already. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I don't know. Like we know from Nintendo's own numbers that it sold incredibly well um, for a Metroid game. I feel like right now we're in the worst time to be in, which is a time where we a new Metroid game Kirby hasn't been month? confirmed. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. No. Well, I mean, a new Metroid game has been. Oh, that's right. We Prime do have Four Metroid is confirmed. Prime Four, yeah, that's right. We just don't know anything about it, uh-huh. like literally at all. Yep, yep. And we can assume that a new 2D game will come eventually, but you're just like, is it going to be another 10 years? Is it going to be like 20 years? Like, what's going on here? I just want, I just want reassurance that a new 2D Metroid game is going to happen. Yeah, that would be nice, right? Just to be like, it's oh, hey, look, we saw this one did well enough. Uh, like pretty g- very good, well enough. Uh, we're gonna keep making them. Um, man, I would love if like every two years we got a new 2D Metroid. Yep. I don't know why I picked two years, but it'd be nice. It would be nice. By the way, it's been two years since uh, Animal Crossing: New Horizons came out. Wow. I don't have anything more to add to that. I just I, I saw it popping up on Twitter the other day and was like, oh wow, it's it's been a while. Speaking of sales numbers, Square Enix announced Triangle Strategy has sold almost 800,000 copies in two weeks. 2D HD going strong. Yep, yep. And I think that is uh, that the combination of that and just like a a new Square Enix game uh, on on Switch, I feel like that's uh, the just shy of a million copies is like the comfortable zone where like that stuff lives. Um, Like that's an Octopath number. That's a a Bravely Default 2 number. so if uh, Square Enix can keep making games and like targeting that sales number, uh, then great. I feel like Dragon Quest Three, that remake, yes. is probably going to do well because it's but if nothing else, it's beloved in Japan, right? Yes. Well, I I mean I I think that and uh, Live Alive and uh, Chrono Cross when that when it comes out, I think all of those are going to do better than this. But partially, you know, just live because, alive. Do you think so? I think so. Yeah, just because people are interested in it. Because yes, like and uh, because Nintendo won't put out Mother Three. So <laughs> you want some legendary lost uh, Japanese RPG um, from the heyday of them, right? So like that that it it fits the it fits the role. EA has canceled their 2022 EA Play Live event 
that's usually held in the summer uh in before covid it was held in the summer like right around e3 time they would usually be usually like a the live weekend event. before yeah. yeah uh it was virtual last year and this year not happening at all. Whoop. Here's the statement they shared with IGN. Quote, we love EA Play Live as it's our way of connecting with our players and sharing what's new with all of you. However, this year, things aren't lining up to show you everything on one date. We have exciting things happening at our world-class studios, and this year we'll reveal much more about these projects when the time is right for each of them. We look forward to spending time with you throughout the year. Okay. Um... What kinds of games come out of EA that you and I are bummed not to see, uh, like featured at? <laughs> Mark's giving me a smile here. I'm, I just can't. Th- I just can't like think of any. Like I am super interested in the Dead Space remake. I yep. love Dead Space, but in the context of the show, like EA is not really giving us much. Yeah, that that's a great point. As far as like Nintendo is concerned, not much. Uh, uh, EA has Respawn Entertainment. They have three Star Wars games that are that they're developing, including the sequel to Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Um, so I would like to hear about those games. Um, and some of those games could conceivably be coming out on Switch, right? Like there's one that's a strategy game. Yeah, conceivably. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, it's a little bit of a bummer not, not to get this, but also, you know, that they say that they're still going to reveal information when the time is right. Um, or, uh, they, they don't have like enough lined up to like have a big event right now. I don't really think it's going to change. Like, like they're still going to be announcing stuff this year. Yeah, Yeah. I think that is absolutely true. I think for me, what is interesting is that this is just another like nail in the coffin to video game Christmas, which is like June. Yeah. You know, we, uh, Jeff Keighley has summer of games where summer games fest, summer games fest where, you know, all like news is like trickled out and their announcements throughout. But I think the days of you're getting this enormous blowout in like over the course of a week, I think those are behind us. It's history. Yeah, I think so. Which, you look, from a company's perspective, makes absolute sense, right? Trying to time all of these announcements on one day when you can have each game or each announcement get its own, get its due when it's ready to be shown. Like, that makes a ton of sense from a company's perspective. But as a fan, it's, you know, it's not as fun. Yeah, well, I mean, like, I think the difference was back in the day, because this is all, uh, you know, all revolves around the the sun that is E3. Um, and with E3 uh, not coming back in any form this year, um, or is right, right. We don't. Right, no. th- well, what's weird is we just don't know, right? Because it's so. It's, it's almost April. Because <laughs> EA, I mean, I, I, I do not think it's going to happen. Right. But we know that they're not doing the in-person event. They, in their last statement about it, were like, "We're looking at doing something digitally," and really, all the and they remain excited about the future of E3. Right. Whatever that means. Yeah, whatever that means. Right. Um but I so uh, everything revolving around the the sun that was um uh E3 and E3 was important because it was drawing attention to a uh, a medium and a market that was like underserved by uh you know other um there there weren't other outlets um that were paying attention to games all the time. And now like games are the predominant like entertainment force in the universe and companies can they can broadcast things whenever they want yeah you know like they'll just put it up on youtube stream it on twitch put it on their own and uh channels and it will get enormous traction 
You right. know, you're not. It doesn't need to be part of a special event that's already drawing eyes. You're yeah. not hoping Time Magazine is going to write about, you know, like uh, your product because they were at E3. Right. And it's still going to get picked up by like The Verge or uh, The Washington Post. Like it's still like those, those, all those, Bloomberg, all these uh, places have like their own gaming uh, focused reporters and like tech reporters. So like it just happens anyway. There's, there's, there's no, no reason for that Christmas to exist anymore. The, we're canceling Christmas. That's what it's come down by to. <laughs> the the YouTube channel Game Explain published an interview with former Next Level Games team member and director of both Mario Strikers and Mario Strikers Charge for the GameCube and Wii, Mike Inglehart. In the interview, Inglehart talks about how their first prototype for Mario Strikers was like a soccer platformer, which is kind of interesting. He says, quote, funny enough... When we went through the initial prototype, we ended up making a platforming style of soccer game. So we actually tried to make something that instinct instinctually would fit the Eastern market. And that's not what they wanted. So they said, scrap that, start again. Wow. And I think we just focused too narrow and tried to make, again, something that they wanted. They didn't give us too many clues. They just said Mario soccer to see where we would go. And we went in the wrong area. It's really hard to describe since it was such a strange experience, but there were two goals that were kind of, if I remember correctly, nestled inside of castles. You would kind of, to dribble the ball, Mario and Luigi would get up on the ball like a circus animal and kind of roll it under their feet. It didn't resemble soccer at all. Soccer was the means to the end, but it was just a weird concoction of trying to fit in what we thought they were looking for on top of a sport. We had to flip that, flip that upside down when we actually got the feedback and put soccer first and layer Mario on second. Which, obviously, right? <laughs> like, that's sort of the formula for all Mario sports games is, like, do the sport and then, like, make it look like Mario. But I do, I d can totally see when they're, like, uh, if they just say Mario soccer and it's up to you to decide what that means and you're trying to, like, guess what they want. I get, get, that would be intimidating. Could that possibly be what happened? <laughs> Is that they called Next Level Games and they were like, "Hey, do you guys want to make Mario Soccer?" And they're like, "Sure. What are you? What are? What are you thinking?" They're Click. like, "No, we already said <laughs> we placed we've an order you, for one Mario Soccer. We've given you all the hints we're going to give you. Ask a follow-up question. That's all I'm saying." <laughs> he also talked about Wario's infamous kind of like crotch chop celebration that he does in the game, um, and. I want to talk about this because there's an interesting little bit of like Waluigi lore in here. Okay, that, all right. Uh, I don't think, and I think it's actually. I think I wrote down Wario, but I think it's actually Waluigi's uh, yes. cross chop. Yes, it is. Um, but uh, I want to. Yeah, there's a little bit of potential Waluigi lore here that is new to me that I think that will be interesting to discuss. So he says, "quote The inspiration for that came from quite frankly, like the shape." Even though it's a V, we thought it was a representation of part of the W. So that's sort of his way of connecting into his first initial. Waluigi, we kind of depicted him as being, yeah, he's a bit, I don't know, a bit edgier than Wario. Wario's kind of on the nose in terms of a bad guy. And Waluigi, we just wanted to explore him a bit more. He's actually kind of mean to his sidekicks, too. They're both mean to their sidekicks, but Wario's about self-loathing. And Waluigi is about blame. And oh. everybody else has done something wrong. Well, so this is an important piece of Wario lore as well. Because I don't know that I would describe as Wario as being about self-loathing. Yeah. I mean. I think what, he likes himself. Well, see, that's what I thought was so interesting. Is It's like, okay, well, is this a, uh, is that like a facade? Like, is Wario actually like mm. really hard on himself? 
you know, but he like projects this air of confidence. But then like, you know, when nobody's listening, he's like muttering under his breath. He's like, you dummy. Yeah. Stupid Wario. Oh, why'd you have to fart right then? That's why everyone hates you. (laughs) But then Waluigi is about blame. Waluigi is about blame. This is perfect. Do you think that when they were giving, you know, like cryptic messages. Yes. Just like Mario soccer. Right. And then hanging and then up the, the phone. Right, and, and then they, they were, called back and they were like, "Sorry, can you just we're we're struggling with this Mario soccer thing. Can you give us anything else?" And someone paused for a second and said, "Wario is about self-loathing, and Lu- while Luigi is about blame." Yeah. Do you think? Do you do we consider this Wario? And I think more importantly, because we don't have much on him, Waluigi canon, or do you think this is just there? like shading on the character and Nintendo is not committing one way or the other. Mm, well, I mean, that's, that's, that, that's a tricky question. Cause like what creates Canon, right? If you don't have someone like uh, from the company stepping out in front and saying like, this is Canon, this isn't Canon. We have to assume that Canon is made by what we, the fans accept and reject. Um, and Waluigi's crotch chop celebration stance is something that has been embraced. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I gotta say, I think the Waluigi is about blame. I think that's canon. I remain a little suspect of a Wario is about self-loathing. But can can one be true without the other? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Wa- Waluigi just uh, just a mystery. Every little morsel of Waluigi information. Yeah. Just is more intriguing. We'll crack that nut someday. A follow up to our conversation about Chocobo GP last week. Um, Patrick and I had been very excited about po- Chocobo GP, but then the game came out and uh, really negative reaction around it. Well, actually, weirdly, good reviews, fine reviews. Yes, fine reviews, which is all I needed, uh-huh. was just fine reviews. But then uh, on upon the game's release, Square Enix flicked a little switch and turned on all the microtransactions and made them sort of necessary for the uh, progression in the game. Uh, which, like, skeezy move, guys. Uh, and the the response to both the light version, which is free, and the full price version, which is $50 uh, and still full of uh, microtransactions, has been largely negative. Yeah, so much so that uh, the game's developers, and specifically the game's producer, Hironori Okayama, published an open letter to players last week addressing the bugs, progression problems, and microtransactions in the game. Um. Mark, in all of the hullabaloo, hullabaloo surrounding this, I wasn't even aware that the game was buggy. <laughs> no, and apparently fairly buggy. Yes, fairly buggy. So, uh, quoting directly from the letter, the first thing we have done is changed the prize level system for Jokobo GP mode to make it easier to increase your level. We have also eased up on the overall requirements and have now made it easier to reach level 100. In particular, we hope players will take advantage of this to earn cloud or some new vehicles. So just to explain that one for a second, Cloud was uh, like sort of otherwise locked behind the season pass, which you would have to buy in addition to, again, spending $50 on the, the full game. We have also set our new design policy to readjust the metagame so that it is easier for players to earn new characters once they have purchased the retail version of the game. Taking this further, taking this thinking further, we will now have cosmetic items such as costumes that don't affect gameplay as the high-level prize pass rewards or as items on sale in the Mithril shop. Mithril, of course, being the premium currency in the game. We are open to implementing additional changes to the game and will continue to take all feedback into account and polish the game even further going forward. Good news? Yeah, I mean, you know, we live in a time where bad games can become good games with enough effort and time. And so, 
sure, I would love a year from now, you know, we're changed our tune. We're like, we're back on Chocobo GP. Yeah, we're, we're back on it. It's Chocobo G- GP month. I, you know, last week I asked, like, do you think they're going to do anything about this? And you're like, no way. <laughs> is, is that what I said last uh, week? Yeah, you said, no way, Patrick. You're dumb for even bringing it up. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I'm not, I absolutely believe that that's what happened. I, I just genuinely have no memory of it. Uh, no, I, I, I posed the question. We were both like, yeah, I don't know. Why would they? Um, but it seems as though it actually is a game that they want to perform well uh, in some capacity. It, yeah, and it also seems like because they have all those like microtransactions and everything built in, they need people to play this game. Yeah. Right? They want people they want it to be attractive enough that it does hook people. So, but just so weird, the some of the things that they launched with, you're just like why did you ever think that was going to work? Why did you ever think you were going to be able to charge $50 for this thing? <laughs> like, if it was just a free game with all of the uh, the insane microtransactions and season passes and stuff. Um, It'd just be Mario Kart Tour. Yeah, it would just be Mario Kart Tour, and then I just wouldn't play it. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, to your point, yes. If it had just launched that way, where it was like free-to-play beginning with all that kind of stuff. But the fact that they were, that it was like a mix of both, it right. just se- right. seemed so grimy. Yep. Um, all I wanted was a Mario Kart like that I would spend $50 on and race as a Chocobo, uh, race as Squall, like race as Vivi. Come on. It's all, it's all I want. The Wii and DSi shop channels went down over the weekend, but it's unclear if this is like the inglorious end of these channels or if there is some temporary technical problem or what exactly is up because Nintendo is not saying anything so far. Most Wii Shop and uh, functionality was halted back in 2019, and DSi Shop even further, even earlier. That was in 2017. And it's basically like in 2017 and 2019, they did what they're doing to the 3DS and Wii U. Uh, You know, like you can't make purchases anymore, but the channels remained up so people could download games that they had previously purchased. Nintendo said at the time, you know, like there will come a date when you won't be able to access these anymore. But I think everybody assumed that they would, like, actually announce it so people could prepare for it. Right. And so that's why it's, like, people are wondering, is this it? Like, Right. Did we cross the horizon and just they didn't tell us? Right. Or is this just some tech thing that they're going to resolve? It's just, it is strange that they are not saying anything or that yeah. they haven't said anything Yeah, so I far. agree. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's weird... Uh, like, you know, how, what, what, what are our expectations from Nintendo, right? Like when they, when they are no longer selling something from a store, um, like the expectation is that they keep it up for three more years. I don't think the expectation. We just want to know. We just want to know. I think that's fair, especially for like, you know, yeah. If you have bought games, I think even a few weeks notice would be nice yeah. if they're not going to give you like months at a time or something. Yeah. Just a little bit of time to go in and make sure that you have everything you want. That you, But yeah. Yeah. Well, and especially considering the like extremely limited storage capacities of both the Wii and the DSi um, that like it was almost impossible to, for to, to hold uh, more than a couple games on either of those things. Um, so yeah, it's yeah, de- definitely uh, let, 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 let someone know before they can't download their stuff. It also makes me like, ooh, you know, when Nintendo says that you're going to be able to get the 
I mean, it has been a few years, but when you're going to be able to get the 3DS games for the indefinite future, I know. Just don't don't count on that indefinite future being well announced. Again, hopefully this is just a glitch and it will come back and they'll give people actual time to download it. Right. Actual and notice. by the time we post this episode, maybe the functionality will be restored. We we don't know. That's right. It's just it's a it's a blip in time and we're living through this blip. Um so, you know, uh, I don't think there's any real conclusion to draw from this, uh but just want to point out that like anything, you know, if they say like Nothing, nothing is permanent, right? Like we got to bask in the impermanence of uh, of our shared existence, uh, including digital assets that we thought would be around forever. Maybe they won't be. That's right. Live life like Nintendo could stop supporting the Wii shop at any time. That's right. And finally, some cool physical rewards are coming to my Nintendo in North America. Some keychains with box art for various Nintendo 64 games including Super Mario 64, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, Mario Kart 64, and Star Fox 64. Um, And they, you know, it's just like the box art um, from those things on just little, little keychains. Uh, A simple little reward, but every now and then there actually is one of these My Nintendo rewards where I'm like, oh, that's neat. I, I, I would like that. Yeah, and for seemingly pretty reasonable, like, price, it's a set of two is only 500 platinum points, which doesn't seem like that many platinum points. No, it's not that many platinum points. And, uh, like, they went right for the bangers. Super Mario 64, Ocarina of Time, Mario Kart 64, and uh, Star Fox. Like, that's perfect. No notes. Those are the four uh, that that you need to give us. The only thing that kind of stinks with the My Nintendo Shop is you end up, uh, it's like $10 or something for shipping, $5 for shipping. I think it's $5 for shipping, yeah. yeah. But you can, um, you can like redeem rewards, and then once you've redeemed them, they're like held for you. So you can sort of like save them up for like the next round. Oh, so just buy just a ton of stuff. ship them all together. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, Got yeah. It. Um, but then you still at some point have to pay that $5. Uh, all right, Mark, let's close out the news. Mark, that's going to do it for this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society. Remember, please rate, review, and follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any kind of podcast platform that you may use. If you like the episode, share us it, share it, and share us on Facebook or Twitter or wherever you share things. Uh, You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Patrick underscore Ellers, and Mark is at MKE Mitchell. And the show, which is its own entity, has its own Twitter account is at Nincart Society. We also have a Facebook page, which is just Nintendo Cartridge Society. Olivia Duncan made our logo, and our theme music is provided by 8 Betty. You can get more of his music by going to 8BitBetty.com or by listening right now. For my co-host, Mark Mitchell, this is Patrick Eller saying thank you for listening. I'm Brian Husky. I'm bald. And I'm Charlie Sanders, and I'm also bald. And we host Bald Talk on the Campfire Media Network. Bald Talk is the podcast where two bald comedians talk to anyone bald about being bald. But this show isn't just for baldies, Brian. Harrows will love it, too. Bald Talk gets into vulnerability, vanity, insecurity, and self-acceptance, reminding us that we all have our respective bald spots. Not that bald spots are a bad thing. No way. I mean, my entire head is one big bald spot. It is one huge, beautiful bald spot, Charlie. Get Bald Talk on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, I I have like 
a little bit of hair, but not like you. Like you're really bald. I'm truly bald. Great. I mean, it's I'm great. balder I than it. you. <laughs> you are balder than me. Only on bald talk. Campfire. <laughs>